There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tee at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I ain't got no idea. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Christmas time. Hanukkah time. Holiday time. Penny Hardaway crying a little bit time. Tennessee football signing period time still getting used to saying signing period time whatever time of day it is it's the right time for the go boss 24 7 podcast west rucker grant ramey coming to you from fort rucker studio recording this on a friday afternoon gonna drop it to you also on a friday afternoon we normally bring these things to you on friday mornings but it's been a week guys it's been a week there's been lots going on couple of big Tennessee basketball games recently. Obviously, the, the main topic being football signing day. The Vols adding, so far, 18 players, I do believe, as of Friday morning. So far, you are correct. 18 signees. A few more commitments who haven't signed yet. A couple more guys who are still out there. We'll get to more of that in a bit. Uh, Tennessee basketball taking on Wake Forest. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Obviously, we'll talk about the Samford basketball game. Obviously, we will have to talk about uh, little Penny doing a little bit of crying. Tennessee balling up its fists of rage. Coming at Memphis. Poor, poor little Memphis. What a blank show that was. It was something. It was something. It was very uh, unexpectedly something. Yeah, there's been a lot going on. Certainly, we hope everyone, uh, if you're listening to this during a, a car ride, let's say you, you've got the kids in the car, you're driving down the interstate, and you're thinking, you know what? I need to put these kids to sleep. This other music legally, not... you need to legally put these kids to sleep. Yeah, with no Benadryl involved, no Benadryl, no baby Ambien, no uh, chokeholds, no chokeholds, no sleeper Sleep, holds. Sleeper holds. Yeah, not none of that stuff. Let's just say you're one of those people, and you're thinking, man, I just I need something to get these kids to go to sleep. And you're thinking, well, how about a GoVols 24/7 podcast? If you're one of those people, thank you for listening. Certainly, hope everyone has. Merry Christmas. Hope everyone's had a, a happy Hanukkah. I think I'm legally obligated to say that since my wife's maiden name was Goldberg. I think I'm legally required to also wish everyone out there a uh, happy Hanukkah. Certainly. It was in happy- the fine print of the uh, wedding vows. Yes, it, it was there in the, the... The unspoken part. Yeah, it was the, the quietly nod yeah. nod part after our really interesting... Uh, agree to terms and conditions. Yeah, after our, uh, after our good old-fashioned uh, Catholic, Baptist, Jewish... Uh, non-denominational everything fest of a wedding. So, yeah, imagine trying to organize that. Whew, that was something. Guys, big, big week for Tennessee in lots of lots of areas. We will certainly start with football talk. And since 
we've got the guy in here who uh, we all wear different hats at Go Balls 24-7. You know, I kind of... And I'm currently wearing a 24-7 hat. That's true. I am wearing a Patagonia hat, so uh, hashtag not for the brand. But a 24-7 sports pullover, so doing that for the brand. But we all wear different hats. You know, uh, Patrick's the football beat writer. Uh, Ryan does some recruiting stuff. Uh, Grant is uh, men's basketball and also does a lot of recruiting stuff for both sports. And I kind of... uh, I think I'm called senior writer because I'm the oldest, but uh, basically write columns and do other things. So, so a bunch of us wear different hats. But Grant's the the best guy to have in here today because if we're talking football and we're talking football recruiting and we're talking basketball, uh, th- this is probably uh, the right twosome uh, to be here. I would imagine. So, uh, worked out that way. Uh, Ryan is currently somewhere not in Knoxville celebrating Christmas with the family. Pat was not able to to make it here, but certainly we'll talk about some of the things they've reported too. But here we are, Grant, Tennessee is, uh, right now as we're recording this, this is the third and final day of the early signing period. Uh, Could be some big news coming for Tennessee later Friday. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, let's get to what we know about this class that Tennessee's got right now. I believe ranked 16th uh, in the uh, 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. You would be correct. Uh, six in the SEC. And, and right now, if you want to look at the uh, at the standings, basically it's Alabama and then a country mile and then Georgia and then two or three country miles to Texas A&M and LSU and everybody else. That is where things are in the national pecking order. Bama and Georgia have, again, completely locked up, uh, loaded up on some of these big-time prospects. Georgia's got five five-star prospects in its class. Listen, guys, this is what – Tennessee was probably going to have to do for those who were kind of hoping against hope that Pruitt being the great recruiter that he is would go out there in his first full cycle and would sign a top five class and would put Tennessee right up there with Bama and Georgia that was probably a little bit naive to think that was going to happen however this class right now is 16th nationally it is sixth in the SEC and there are a couple of big big five-star four-star fish still out there for Tennessee so, Grant, what, what's the takeaway from what Tennessee has done to this point and what this class is and could be? I think the takeaway is it's a really solid class. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, it's kind of middle of the road in the SEC and at six. It's, it's, it's decently high at 16th nationally. Uh, but Not a lot of five and seven teams up there. Right, way. right, right. And, and, and just kind of where this program is, obviously, this is actually the first class where Pruitt kind of had his feet set and had a year to actually recruit and put this class together. Uh, obviously, Wani Morris is there where, where everybody starts. Uh, five-star offensive tackle, number 13 overall player in the class. Obviously, Tennessee, it still feels like you're in the driver's seat uh, for Darnell Wright, who's going to do do his signing uh, on National Signing Day in February. So, obviously, if you could if you could ink two five-star tackles in the same class. Yeah, like the number 10, number 13 prospects right, in the class. Given the uh, struggles you had on the offensive line, uh, given what you need. I mean, if you're going to be a good football team, you better be good on the offensive line and the defensive line. And adding to – if they get Darnell to go with Wanya, obviously that's two huge building blocks uh, moving forward. And it's not only that, it's who you're beating to get them. You know, Auburn made a really hard push for Wanya. They wanted him really badly. For a long time they pushed hard. <laughs> right, and you're and you're battling Alabama for, for Darnell Wright. I mean, if, if those are two programs you're going up against – uh, and that's just where it starts. And and Ramel Keaton's a, a, a wide receiver, four-star guy. He's currently the second highest-rated guy in the class. Love that kid as a prospect. He's a really good, uh, and he's 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 kind of been in the boat for a while. He's been really solid. Uh, you're signing this kind of talent with, you know, you still don't have an offensive coordinator on staff. So, 
to get that kind of talent. And he's a teammate of Harrison Bailey, the 2020 quarterback who committed to uh, the yep. 2020 class a few weeks ago without that offensive coordinator. But, I mean, you just go down the list, Jalen McCullough, he's a really good player, uh, another four-star guy, a really hard-hitting safety. Uh, Eric Gray, obviously the piece they added on Thursday. Uh, that's an all-purpose back. That's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's got – uh, some underrated power. He's got some bursts. He's he's explosive. He can do it out of the backfield. Just I mean, a good playmaker. Just a really solid. Ba- I mean, he kind of compares. Uh, I think the the NFL comparison people have given him is Kareem Hunt, which obviously, uh, yeah. You look at that body type, that body style, five ten, one ninety three, kind of uh, the Kareem Hunt body style, the Alvin Kamara, kind of where the NFL is shifting and running backs. Obviously, uh, that's somebody you you want, and, and you just go down the list. They. they they did some work on the offensive line. They did some work on the defensive line. They, uh, they still they need help at edge rusher, obviously, because they missed on a couple guys there. But uh, even though they were uh, making pushes there, but I, I think top to bottom, it's a solid class and, and it's a it's a good sign moving forward. And I can tell you right now that of all their signees that they have, the one who's rated the lowest by just about everyone is uh, Gerard Means, a wide receiver out of uh, a high school Tennessee fan should know really well. Lovejoy there in Hampton, Georgia. It's where, you know, Anthony Parker and um, another offensive lineman, uh, Chris, who played at Tennessee recently, he, he came from there. That was the school, I believe, wasn't that the Resorts High School also? Uh, Love Joy there in Hampton. So, yeah, the, there's been a lot of – Preston Williams is the resort, for those who may not know. Well, if you don't, and if you don't know, you better ask somebody. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a problem. Yeah, that that's uh, – or as Justin Martin used to call him, um, R.I.P., Justin Martin, or what he, he used to call him R.I.P. Preston Williams after Williams left to go to Colorado State. And he's done a really good job, and he's going to go into the NFL draft this year, so credit to him. But my point was, a lot of times you look at a class and you look at the top guys in the class. I, I say a lot of times a class is only as good as sort of the bottom part of it, too. You know, have you – what's your three-star hit rate? Because you got to think there's going to be a couple five-star and four-star busts there and, here and there, but – and Tennessee certainly had its fair share, let's be honest about that. But – but you normally know what you're going to get with those kinds of guys. If you hit on those three star guys, then then you're 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 really you're really cooking. And Tennessee staff loves Gerard Means. This wide receiver is about six two, six three, two hundred and twenty pounds. Runs a four four one forty. Uh, has a, an explosive vertical leap. Uh, he's a guy who even one of Tennessee's recruiting personnel said on Twitter, like, you know, if you don't. If you think this kid, if you think there's a thousand kids, whatever, right. better than this one, you're right. insane. So, uh, and I believe he said there's not 200 players. There might not be 200 players in this class, let alone 200 wide receivers and, better than this kid. And I don't, I don't think he was trying to call out recruiting services like two four seven or rivals. Yeah, or, if he was, we're gonna, we're gonna have a fight. He, we're gonna have a fight. He kind of explained it in a, a follow up tweet saying, you know, I think he named two four seven. Two four seven has a, you know, has thousands of kids to evaluate in each recruiting cycle whereas a coaching staff it gets narrowed down so narrow as the recruiting class goes on as the cycle continues uh, they can watch this Gerard Means kid play every single game uh, this season like they say they have uh, and they can kind of fall in love with the kid like they say they have because he is that 4-4 kind of burner guy at 6-3-2-13 which is obviously the measurables you're looking for when you're desperate to add speed that's the kind of speed you're looking to add uh, so and, if, I, and if you get that size with it, that's a that's a bonus. So yeah, and, and that was his point. I think he's ranked like in the two hundreds just among wide receivers alone. And he said something along the lines of, "If you can find two hundred receivers better than this kid, uh, he would be surprised." Which uh, that's their take. I mean, that's that's what every coaching staff is going to say, especially for a lower rated kid. Sure, they're sure. not chasing stars. They're going to brag about signing a five star because he's a five star. 
But when it comes to a three-star guy, if they like the kid, they're going to say they're not star chasing. They're finding their guys. They're trusting their evaluations. They're doing it with their own eyes, obviously. Uh, the yeah, basketball yeah, program has it, done that for years. And yeah, it's like if, you're, do it. yeah, if your wife's beautiful, then you talk about how beautiful she is. And if your wife's not so beautiful, what a wonderful personality <laughs> she has. She's a nice person. She's so underrated, you know, does so many things so well. So so consistent, you know, reliable, uh, you know, good birthing hips. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll – they'll, it's Sounds funny. like you have some experience. Uh, no, actually, I, my, my wife is actually, I think, in the beautiful category, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so that's surprising but true. Uh, and then the, But speaking of people who are legitimately huge, I'm not going to not talk about this kid because every class uh, I pick a couple of guys, and, and I go ahead and I call them my ninjas. And these are guys who are three-star players who I'm like, man, that kid's going to be good. And I'm not ready to put this kid in that category yet, but I so desperately want this kid to give me a reason to, and I hope he does, because Elijah Simmons has one of the best recruiting headshots that I've ever seen. His head is enormous. This kid is six foot, 352 pounds, and can kind of sort of dunk a basketball at that size, as he showed Jeremy Pruitt in a video. Uh, for those who missed that story, Jeremy Pruitt... Uh, he asked Elijah Simmons how much he weighed, and Simmons said, 352 pounds, sir. And and Pruitt went, son, we told you we needed you to be 325 for us to sign you. That's 30 pounds over. What are you doing? And he goes, coach, coach, be cool. I can still co- I can still dunk a basketball. <laughs> be cool. And Pruitt goes, there's no way at that size you can dunk a basketball. He said, I'll show you a video. And he sent Pruitt a video of him catching a, an alley-oop from a teammate of his. Taking for, off from the uh, top of the key, yeah. running downhill at the rim. Yeah, and he got up there. I, I'm not going to call it a a vicious slam dunk. I don't think that Eve Pons is 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 uh, sweating bullets, worrying about losing the best dunker title on campus. Um, but he did get the ball through the cylinder, touch the rim. I think you could maybe call it a dunk regardless. Finger, fingertips above the rim. Regardless, this kid until a couple of years ago thought he was a basketball player. At this size, at this size, I love there, – there's one kid who I think maybe signed with Auburn, and he his recruiting headshot had him with his pit bull, and that was my number one favorite right. in this class. But I think Elijah Simmons, like you look at the – if you go to the 24-7 sports – uh, Tennessee Commitments page. It's kind of right there. You go to the GoBoss247.com where you should be all the time anyway. But you can go there to the Football Recruiting tab and go down to the Commits tab and click on that. And you will see that uh, these recruiting headshots are kind of cropped in circles on our site. And normally you get, like, a pretty fair amount of, like, you know, shoulder, trap muscle, like, you know, the, the, the T-shirt kind of collar or, or the shirt and tie collar. With Elijah Simmons, you pretty much just get face. That's pretty much all there is. His face takes up, I'm going to say, 75 to 80% of the circle. And I love this kid. And I hope that from right there in Pearl Cone, a, a school that's been good to Tennessee over the years, I hope this kid comes in as a nose tackle and does some good things because I really want to be able to use that picture as much as possible. I think you're focusing on the wrong things because I think you can judge an athlete, especially a football player, by neck size. The, the dudes that have the necks that are basically the big as big as a basketball rim. But this kid's face is yeah. I mean this this kid from top to bottom is built like a highway road cone. He is, and, and you know Sorry, what? A, a barrel, not a cone, a barrel. And, and you know what? You know what color those are, right? Tennessee orange, orange and white. As uh, I believe it was, uh, it was either rocker or rump, and I, I apologize for not remembering which one it is. I think maybe may, may have been rump. 
who said, uh, Elijah Simmons, we got a big old stadium, and that's a good thing because this is a big old boy, and he needs a big old stadium to play in. And that's exactly what you need. Yeah, I Tennessee mean, did need to get bigger. And you look down this class. All jokes aside, this is what you need. You know, they brought in some guys, uh, a couple of guys who maybe could be edge rushers, although I agree with you, Grant, that's one area of this class needed more guys and hopefully will get more guys. I think they 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 helped themselves uh, on the offensive line, which they needed to. They helped themselves the defensive tackle, including getting a guy like Savion Williams, who's coming in uh, from Dunder Mifflin's own <laughs> Scranton, Pennsylvania, Lackawanna Community College, uh, to step in there. Dunder Mifflin Community College. Yeah, the number one JUCO defensive tackle prospect in the so country. so many questions to ask him when he gets to campus. Yeah, and he's watching be like, I've never watched The Office. And then, yeah. and then we're going to have to say, you're dead to us. You just died to us as a staff. Uh, getting Jackson Lampley certainly was big there for the offensive line, too. They, they got some guys at the O-line that I like. They got some guys along the defensive front that I like. Really probably – and Daryl Middleton, let's not forget him, a, a kid from, from Oak Ridge slash Knoxville, uh, went to East Mississippi Community College there in Scuba, Mississippi. And after committing to Tennessee as a 15- or 16-year-old so many years ago – 2012. Eventually ends up at Tennessee. Two head coaches ago. Yeah, he and Emmett Gooden both on the uh, – you know, uh, both on that sort of commit to Tennessee way early, then do a bunch of other stuff, and then eventually come back home to Tennessee. Circle back. So it, it's good to add a guy like that, too. You know, and, and I think, um, Chris, uh, Akparagani, is that how – do, how do you pronounce it? Good question. I think uh, basically the way – Pronunciation we, expert Ryan Callahan is not in studio today. Yeah, we, we were joking. Uh, I think it was uh, – who was it? I think it was uh, – yeah, it was Brent Hubs and I the other day were joking about – how it sounded like Pruitt says Panini when he's talking about his last name, like like yeah. a like a like a, hot, like a hot press sandwich, and uh, but this kid basically uh, any anytime I mention him to Ryan, I just call him Chris Akpora Pogo Stick. I don't know why, works for me, but I, I I'm probably gonna stick with calling him Chris or uh, Akpo. I'm guessing or Chris A or Mister A. But uh, he is originally uh, you know from uh, Nigeria, I believe it is. And he, but he's also kind of an East Tennessean because he spent some time at the Kings Academy. They're the, the local high school here, just a few miles from right here at Fort Rucker Studio. And uh, then he went down to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, a six foot four, 295 pound offensive lineman that they really like his knee bend. They really like a lot of the things he does. They like his upside. So Tennessee did, did the job, I think, for the most part up front. And then if you add, if you add guys like, Darnell Wright on top of this, then you've really done a nice job on the offensive line, which we all know was a huge need. And I can also tell you that if you have a class heavy on line of scrimmage players, you're probably not going to be ranked in the top five nationally because if you're taking a bunch of linemen, you're probably taking a bunch of three-star linemen too. And it is what it is, guys. The, those guys aren't aren't rated quite as high sometimes, and, and they're hard to predict and project. So – that was another – I mean, and I didn't even mention Melvin McBride from, from Whitehaven High School right. there in Memphis. Pat, the Haven. Pat Brown will, will, will go nuts on me for, for not mentioning the Memphis kid. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they've done a lot of stuff that I like there. Um, but when you look at this class, I even like the tight ends that they got too. And, and usually if you get a couple tight ends, they're usually going to be three-star, you know, right. four-star types. I mean, Jackson Lowe is a really nice athlete. They're uh, from there down there in the Atlanta area, North Atlanta. 12th best tight end in the class. Yeah, and a big kid, a, a you know four-star player, six foot five, two hundred thirty-five pounds, uh, and they like both tight ends. They like him and Sean and, Brown. And Sean Brown's a guy that's six five, two fifty, and his coach has talked openly about the fact that he thinks he could blow up and be an offensive tackle uh, before it's all said and done. 
There you go. So there's a couple of tight ends that I know that tight ends coach Brian Niedermeyer, who's kind of quietly an MVP, I think, for this staff on the recruiting trail. When you look at how many places they send him and how many things he does and how many of the big prospects, he's even in there with Darnell Wright helping out with that. He's been as good as anybody recruiting on the staff, maybe aside from Pruitt. So that's a big deal. He, he's done a nice job, and, and Tennessee was really happy to keep him in the offseason because he was the first guy Jeremy Pruitt hired, came right with him from Alabama, uh, where he was a kind of a quality control type, grad assistant type guy. And he's got a heck of a future in this business. And Tennessee was really happy to keep him. He had some offers to leave and didn't. And uh, he's done a really nice job in this class. But when you look at it overall, there's a bunch of guys in this class that I like. But if you're going to compare it just to like Alabama's and Georgia's classes, guys, it is what it is, those classes. Let's put it this way. Tennessee would probably take just about every single player in the Alabama or Georgia class, and I don't think Alabama or Georgia would take everybody in the Tennessee class. But that's where things are right now. Uh, Florida State was the only team in Tennessee's win-loss zip code, basically, that was anywhere near the top 20 in recruiting. So, you know, Arkansas was kind of on that fringe too there. So there weren't many teams that, that had the kind of record Tennessee had that were able to recruit like this. And there's a chance – I still think this class ends up somewhere between like 11 and 15 maybe when all is, is said and done. And that's not bad at all for what they've had to do and, and what they are right now. Um, and I think this is true also. I don't know that I would have said the things about the offensive coordinator in the way that Jeremy Pruitt said them on Wednesday, if we're being candid here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have phrased it exactly like that. That's just me speaking. But I don't mind the candor there. I don't mind him saying, you know, I don't want to talk about recruiting right now. It didn't hurt us on the trail. And you know what, guys, sometimes that that talk's overrated. Look at some of these teams across the country. It doesn't matter who the OC is. I don't know if that's going to be his sales pitch to offensive coordinator candidates. But they were able to go recruit, including getting a big 2020 quarterback who hadn't been able to sign yet, obviously. But they were able to recruit pretty darn well on that side of the ball for not having – I mean, their guys didn't budge. I mean, Brian Maurer, the quarterback commitment, kind of hedged his bets there for a day or two, but then he quickly got back that's, on board. That's what I was thinking. We didn't even talk about the quarterback. And he's a guy that you, you lose your he, – he committed to your school because of a lot for – for, you know, a big reason because of Tyson Hill and what he did. Yeah. Uh, he was the primary recruiter there. He, that was his guy. That was his quarterback. He went down there and found him and, uh, and recruited him to Tennessee and got him to commit. Uh, Tyson Helton leaves to take over at Western Kentucky as the head coach. And Morris scrubs all of his social media of Tennessee references, changes his pictures, and in, in which it sounds stupid and like that's reading between the lines, but that's a big deal. Yeah. That's kind of how you get a read on these kids. Uh, and and Jeremy when, Pruitt, when they're in their feels like that, right? And Jeremy Pruitt went down and did an in-home visit, and uh, obviously he stayed committed because he signed, uh, and he's a really talented quarterback, and and that's another offensive skill guy uh, that you have uh, in this class, despite questions about who your offense coordinator is, what kind of style they're going to run. I mean everything moving forward but you're, you're right I, I don't know if I would have said it the way Jeremy Pruitt said it uh during that press conference but uh Pruitt's gonna say the stuff he's gonna say because he's he's Pruitt uh he's, he's not gonna if hide. you want that guy to change you're gonna be disappointed right. he's he is not, what he, he is he's not gonna shy away from from saying what's uh saying what's on his mind uh you talked about the, the class rankings I mean use the class calculator function on govals247.com a very fun feature of 247 sports yeah. shameless plug uh, for the company, if you add Darnell Wright, if you add Quinveris Crouch to this class, the, it, it instantly jumps to number ten in the country. 
Yeah. So I mean, that, that, that's a big leap if if you can add those guys. And there's that, a couple other guys out there too. Right. Right. They have the three guys that are that are committed that still haven't signed. So. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of wiggle room here to to see where this class lands. And, and I, I want to say this too before we talk about Crouch, who we obviously need to talk about. I, I do want to say this about Brian Maurer. I, I I think, you know, what I really like about this kid, and there's some stuff on film that I like about him, but I'm not talking just about that. This kid knows for sure because everyone in the program knows what Pruitt and his staff think about the upside of J.T. Shroud, right. who redshirted this season. Uh, and will be a redshirt freshman starting next season, and he, he'll be in the mix to to play, and he'll he might have a chance to push Garantano for the job. I think we all know that that's a possibility. So this kid knows that one. Two, he knows that in the class behind him, they've got one of the top quarterback prospects in the country already committed, and the guy that recruited him to Tennessee is no longer there, and Tennessee currently doesn't have an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach. So when you throw all of that together, you've got a recipe for there's no way in hell that kid's going to sign with Tennessee, and he did. And I love that because that tells me, you know what, to be be frank, that tells me that kid's got a pair. And I think that – he wants to compete. He's not afraid of competing. It reminds me of when Jonathan Crompton committed to Tennessee – despite Ainge and Schaefer being freshman starters at quarterback at Tennessee. And, and Crompton said at the time, I don't care who's there. My expectation is to go there and compete and win the starting job. That is the kind of guy you need. When you look at places like Alabama and Georgia right now, where they're signing all these five stars and people are saying, why? How, how are you going to be able to play early on? And they're saying, because I'm a badass and I'm going to do it. That's, what, that, that's how they think. So I think guys with that mentality are the guys you need. Now, if they don't start early, you need to worry about sort of controlling those egos and getting them to buy in and being program guys. But if you recruit the, those kind of guys, they don't care who's already on your roster. They don't care what the situation is. They think they're good enough to go in there and play. And I love that. And I think in, at the quarterback position, you have to have that confidence. And I really, really like that uh, about this kid. Uh, before we move on, talk about a couple other things we do need to mention. Uh, we're going to call him a Quaveris Crouch or Quavars Crouch. I've heard that both ways. And as we've said before, pronunciation guy, uh, MC Ryan Callahan is not here. Pronunciations for smart people. And, and we're not that. We're, we're just throwing from the hip here. We're uh, doing the Eve Pond passing from the hip right now. <laughs> uh, but this would be big news for Tennessee and we're going to call it what it is. Tennessee's about 80% right now in his crystal ball there on 24-7 Sports, another shameless plug. 247sports.com, the best place in the world. Go there. Good deal right now. Buy one, get one. But if you go look at him as a prospect, it's so rare to find a kid who at 18 years old is six foot three, 230 pounds, and could either play right away as a running back or a linebacker. That – that's a rare kind of athlete, and there's a reason why he's one of the top 30 or 40 prospects in the country. Played running back in high school, and you watch the film, and he just runs away from people. I think we were talking at about At a pretty this. high level yeah, in Charlotte. Bas- I think we were talking about this earlier. Like, what kind of human is 6'3", 230 in high school running away from people? Derrick Henry. It doesn't make sense. That's what Derrick Henry did. But yes. Jamal Lewis did. Transparency. I would be stunned at this point since he didn't land this kid. Yeah. That's been the tea leaves for a while. Right, and and it, and it kind of started uh, a couple Thursdays ago with the in-home visit from Pruitt um, before the the contact period closed, and then he kind of snuck on campus, uh, Crouch did, for the, the final weekend before the early signing period began. 
uh, on Wednesday. So as soon as that happened, it seemed like a lot of momentum kind of swung uh, in Tennessee's favor, and, and that changed things moving forward. Um, I think Michigan is maybe the team that, if, if he lands at Tennessee, I think Michigan's maybe the team that finished second here. Uh, it feels like Clemson at this point has been eliminated. But if, the, they, if they have room. Right, the, and the plan all along was for him to uh, do his thing during the early period, uh, maybe sign with the school during the early period, then keep it quiet, under wraps, whatever, until the All-American game in San Antonio on January 5th. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, he's probably signing on uh, today, Friday, and he's probably announcing now on the evening news in Charlotte uh, on one of the uh, news stations uh, during the sports uh, telecast. And obviously, uh, like we said, it would be really, really surprising at this point if he did not pick Tennessee, if he was not part of this class, and if he was not signed, sealed, and delivered before the end of the early signing period this evening. And again – you look at his primary recruiter for Tennessee, it is none other than Brian Niedermeyer. This guy has been everywhere and done so many things everywhere. in this class uh, for a guy. And I joke about this, who every time I take a picture of him in practice, he looks like he's, one, having a bad day, and two, doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, but he's just kind of got that surly bear kind of look. But uh, he's done a great job with Tennessee, and obviously so has Pruitt, so has Chris Rump. Tennessee's entire staff at some point or another has gotten involved with this kid. And you're right, to be that size and, and to run away from people, uh, and it's not like he's playing in some podunk area. He's playing in Charlotte where right. you've got some pretty good athletes there, and, and he's just completely running away from dudes. And, and so this kid is a special talent. Uh, he's a guy who will enroll early, which will give him a chance. I believe that's still the plan, right, enrolling early? I believe that is still the uh, still the plan after the All-American game on January 5th. Ryan Callahan, pronunciation expert, weighs in via text. Quavaris Crouch. So. Quavaris? Uh, give him, uh, give Ryan via text message. Uh, one, uh, give him a middle finger, and then two, give him uh, Chris Akpo, Chris Akpo Panini Pogo stick. Let's get this pronunciation right because we need to. Because I do find it disrespectful when people don't know how to say someone's name correctly. Okay. That's a pet, the, te- the text a pet, is in, not the middle finger text because I'm a nice person. Oh come on! And this is a family text thread. Is it? Is it? It is. Is it? Remember, there's kids listening to this podcast. That's true. So before, while we're waiting on that information, Grant, is there anything, before we switch gears and talk for just a second about the OC and then move on, uh, is there anything else about this class that really caught your eye or anything in the next six weeks that people need to keep an eye on? Or or, or where where are things, has anything kind of fallen through the cracks in in our discussion here? Because I'm admittedly not, a recruiting expert, right. and I tell everyone all the time that, hey, I'm we got guys on the staff who do that. I'm not one of them. It, I mean, just to circle back, it's a, it's a solid class. I think people were disappointed uh, on Wednesday because, uh, you know, Jalen Ellis picks Baylor over Tennessee, the, the wide receiver out of Texas. Uh, Tennessee had to kind of battle into that one uh, just to get into his final uh, – final uh, list of schools but he you know couldn't get the distance was a factor they missed on Nick Figueroa the defensive lineman from Southern California he ended up at Southern Cal uh, again it's hard to get a kid away from uh, they put they, put, they, they put up a pretty good fight they, there. they were a finalist for that team and they had him on campus like Jalen Ellis uh, on the final weekend before signing day and and with Nick Figueroa that's another Brian Niedermeyer special where he's yeah. on the west coast uh, there's obviously some big uh, big names left on the board but right now as it stands uh, it's a solid class. If you had Dornell Wright, if you had Quavaris Crouch, thanks, Ryan, via text, uh, that's a really, really good class. Uh, there's, there's some really, really good pieces. Does he uh, go by Quay, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. He'll, he'll have to go by Q on this podcast. Quay Crouch? Uh, Quay Crouch. Forward. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's all you did miss on some people. They did make a run at Joseph Anderson, the 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 kid from Middle Tennessee who was committed to uh, South Carolina, and I think they made him think a little bit uh, about ending up at Tennessee and, and trying to flip him. They it didn't work, uh, and they I guess they had a little bit of momentum, or they were a, they were a team in the discussion uh, with Justin Aboibe, the the defensive end that ended up at Alabama out of Georgia. Uh, and there's some big names they're still involved with, so th- there's some ground they can still make up, but they've already started uh, with a really solid class in the early period. And now, and, and again, we, we've had a lot of our focus on the recruiting trail and on that top five Tennessee basketball team, so we're always trying to keep our, our fingers in every pie possible. But there has not been a lot of traction publicly uh, or that we've been able to uncover much about Tennessee's uh, recruiting class right now. And And, and I think – or, or with the um, offensive with the offensive search. coordinator search, I should say, and I, I think now in the next couple of weeks you'll start seeing a lot more movement because the early signing period will be over. You'll see a lot of bowl games being played in the next couple of weeks. I, I think you'll start to see some movement again. I think this thing will pick up here in a couple of weeks. So I, I expect this thing to kind of get going forward. I, I think. Uh, people might still be surprised at some of the names that, that are in contention for the spot at Tennessee. I continue to hear from people over there that, you know, the, the getting the higher right is more important than the name, but there are a couple of, quote, names in the mix there. And so we'll see where it goes. Pruitt said what he said. Uh, I, I don't think that it m- was meant literally, uh, but right. it was Pruitt, so there was some truth behind it or he wouldn't have said it. I, I think he genuinely, genuinely believes in his mind anyway, after things didn't work out about a week or a week and a half ago with getting some of those first couple guys, uh, he, he didn't get any of those across the finish line. And when that happened, I think he said, you know what, it doesn't matter who this OC is if this roster sucks. So I'm going to go make sure that this roster gets fixed. Because if you're trying to put all that attention on an OC and you're not giving all that attention to recruiting and then you end up not getting a couple of kids, well, then in a couple of weeks you might you might have a – a coordinator candidate say you don't have any talent there right so he he needed to do what he could do with what he had with what time he had and I think one thing I I do think Pruitt's really good at is prioritizing his time and his effort uh, I've heard I've, I've heard nothing but good things from people over there about the way that he understands what a head coach should and shouldn't be doing uh, what kind of things should be on his radar and what things shouldn't and I think the way that he uses his time, I think, is usually pretty pretty sharp. So I think you'll start to see a lot more movement now, uh, and I think this thing will get done sooner rather than later now. Uh, but I think the priority has been on the recruiting trail the past couple weeks, and, and I don't see why it wouldn't at this point. No, and it's, it's just such a big hire kind of for the future of the Jeremy Pruitt era at Tennessee. Correct. I mean, it, it could set a tone moving forward, you don't want to be back in this boat this time next year or two years from now because the fit didn't work. Or If you're back in this boat, you want it to be because you found the guy that's successful, that moved on, uh, that got a head coaching opportunity at a, at a Power 5 school because of what he did uh, at Tennessee. And, and coordinators are going to come and go. That's part of it. I mean, look at Alabama and how many uh, coordinators come and go from there. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt's a, def- a former Alabama defensive coordinator himself, and, and there's going to be turnover there. But at this point, you're three weeks in. Uh, I understand why Tennessee fans want a name and want to hire and want somebody done uh, and across the line, if you will. But at, at three weeks now, why wait? I mean, I mean, why not continue waiting is what I'm trying to say. Why not just – I mean, it's past the point of you're, you're not rushing to try to get somebody in before the early signing period because that's obviously come and gone. 
uh, find the right guy, find the right fit, uh, and focus on on that instead of just rushing to, to get somebody to, to fill your staff. And before we move over to basketball, we'll mention one more thing with football. There have been a couple of more roster losses, roster defections, if you will. Uh, remember, we've said before that if Tennessee wants to bring in somewhere around 25 recruits in this class, you can do basic math and see that there's at least maybe eight guys from last season's roster who need to not return, uh, eight scholarship players. And right now that list is up to, I believe, four. So there's been some progress in that area. You've got Will McBride. Uh, you got Corte Sapp. Um, you got Mark Will Osborne. You've got um, – and those guys are, are leaving for different reasons. Uh, Sapp's going to go to the draft, which, again, I, I, I hate that he did that. I wish he would have gone somewhere as a grad transfer because I think right. he could go somewhere in a 4-3 and play and really boost his stock. But he's a smart kid, and he's always been good to us, so I hope – uh, and, and want the best for him, so I hope that goes well. But those guys are gone. Uh, and then you've got – actually, it's up to five because you got a couple more offensive linemen uh, this week. Uh, I believe uh, Chance Hall, uh, has that has that come out now? Is that is that official yet or is that about to happen? I do not recall. Uh, that That's possible. But the one we do know for sure is Devontae Brooks, who is going to go. And, and he's a guy who, again, it, it was one of those – kind of feel-good stories that you wanted to to, to, to end well. Right. Because he was a kid from Washington, D.C., who was a big-time, uh, big, big-time prospect uh, when he was about a junior in high school, one of the better, bigger tight end prospects in the country, tore his ACL. Then he tore his ACL again. And, and I'll, I'll credit Butch Jones and his staff for this. They stuck with him. They believed in him. And they, they, they kept their scholarship offer on the table. Um, so you've got that situation – um, and then he comes to Tennessee, he moves to offensive tackle, um, and, and just it just didn't quite click for him. He he wasn't the same guy athletically after those knee surgeries. Uh, but he's going to stay on scholarship, and he's going to finish and get his degree. He's a smart kid, so I wish the best for him. Tanner Antonuti is the Yeah, that's, that, instead that's the of Chance Hall. Yeah, that is the – there there is. There's number five right there. So uh, Tanner Antonuti, uh, another guy who, who came to Tennessee, uh, in-state prospect, uh, was a guy who a lot of people thought was going to be a good player. For Tennessee, and then he shows up, and he's got a back issue. And uh, as someone myself who's got a crooked back, I can tell you, it's not fun. It it, it hurts things. It makes you, you pull muscles. You're not comfortable. Every hit is is painful. Uh, so he's going to stay on Tennessee as a student coach and go on medical and work toward his degree. So that's what I, I messed up. Although it is still possible with Chance Hall, uh, he's got a lot of issues with those knees. So there's five down, and I think at least three more that are going to have to go if Tennessee wants to bring in a full boat. So uh, that situation remains in flux. And then you look at Tennessee's recruiting class and you see a couple of guys who didn't sign on signing day who are commitments. Uh, we'll see if all of those stick. I'm not going to put that as 100% guarantee that they do. Like you Henry, somebody to watch uh, Yeah, just because other schools are making a push for that kid. And other schools are making a push for man. I think I, – I, I don't think Tennessee's – I'm not going to say Tennessee's wavered, but I think right. – there were parts of his film this season that were not quite as good as, as people were wanting to see from him. He didn't quite make the leap they expected him to make. So, And other schools were in the mix there, too, so I think there's a chance that that, that could go the other way. And I apologize if uh, Chance Hall ends up staying and playing. I just think that that's one to keep watching going forward. But Antonuni was the one. So there are five guys uh, right now and maybe at least three to go. So before we, we've done that, normally we, we have a different theme for basketball podcasts versus football podcasts um but since we're having, kind of putting them together for one episode here 
I'll I'll go back and and do what we used to do when we talked about basketball. How's that for a transition? Makes it feel like spring. And we have the rights to this since it's CBS. Tennessee basketball ranked number three nationally. We'll transition and talk about them. Big, big week for them again. You may have noticed, but Tennessee went on down to the west part of the state and kind of kicked Memphis in the tailpipe. Uh, I want to give credit before we talk about some of the Dumb, dumb, stupid things from that Memphis program in the past few days. I want to say a couple things. One, it was absolutely wonderful to hear FedEx Forum being really FedEx Forum again and being that loud, being sold out to the Raptors for the first time since Calipari was there. Tremendous atmosphere. I think only Rupp Arena will compare when Tennessee goes on the road this season for that kind of a hostile environment, that kind of noise. Uh, It was loud. It was fun. Uh, it, it was a it was a cool place to be, and it was good to see Memphis do that. And, and I think that Memphis team uh, put up a better fight than a lot of people thought it would. And I think Memphis played pretty well in that game. They were um, definitely ready to go, especially when they hit some threes in the second half. And that crowd really kind of kept them in that game and made a lot of noise, pushed them forward. And if Memphis could have made some more threes early, it could have been a tough that, game for that Tennessee. crowd. Lost its mind when it just got to single digits, like. You don't see that very often. No, when it got down to like nine, uh, based on the crowd noise, you thought Memphis was up nine. And, and you never would have guessed it was an 11 a.m. local tip-off with right. the noise in that building. They were there early. They were ready to go. Um, but you know what? The takeaway from that, uh, after we've said all those nice things about Memphis, is if you wanted to be – this Memphis team is sort of a 500-ish team. I think it'll be – they're adding talent going forward, and it's going to be a lot better. Uh, in the future, certainly talent-wise for Penny and those guys, the way he's recruiting, bringing in the number one player in the country. Just a lot of, a lot of neat things are happening there. But um, I think the takeaway from that game, at least for me, was that in that building that day, that's the best Memphis might play all season. Right. And there were a lot of reasons for that. And I think it would have taken a team that was either really, really good or really, really experienced or both to beat that Memphis team in that building on that day. And Tennessee did one of the more amazing jobs I've seen of just hitting a shot every single time that that crowd got in their face. Every time that crowd got into it, Memphis made a run, like a 6-0, 7-0, 8-0 run, hit a couple threes, kind of the crowd got up to his feet, a block shot, just, you know, taking some charges, getting the crowd into it. Tennessee just – Charges, quote. Yeah, quote, quote, quote charges. Unquote. Yeah, we'll get into the flopping here in a minute because a flop right. is a flop, and that's what you call Michael it. Michael uh, Scott said, quote, unquote, quote. <laughs> quote, unquote, quote, flop. You miss 100% of the flops that you don't try. Michael Scott, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> quote, unquote, quote. <laughs> Penny. <laughs> Penny. But Tennessee, every single time in that game that it had to make a play, it made a play, and that's what you expect a veteran-laden basketball team to do. And I think a lot of teams, a lot of ranked teams, I think would have lost to Memphis in that building on that day, in that game. But Tennessee went out there and hit the shot every time. I mean, you have Jalen Johnson even hit a big three-pointer to quiet them in the second half at one point. Uh, Grant Williams stepped out and hit a big three. uh, And then Admiral Schofield did what he does and just completely took over. I've tried to tell people on Twitter for a long time now, if if you're a fan of a team Tennessee's playing and Tennessee's on the road, do not heckle Admiral Schofield. Do not give that dude a reason. If you aggravate him, he's going to put 25-plus on you, 
and he's going to taunt you while he's doing it. Not the best guy. And he's going to taunt you after he's done it. Yeah, not the, not the best guy to, to go after. I know he's kind of the guy that a lot of people uh, target, you know, in some ways, the opposing fans do, but uh, not a good idea. He went out there and did some big, big things, really carried Tennessee and needed to because Grant Williams was, um, again, in, in foul trouble for a lot of the game. So, um, But Tennessee's performance in that game, before we talk about the ridiculous fallout from it, really impressive. I think you could you could say they could play better on defense and you wouldn't be wrong because they've gone from elite defensively to just kind of really good but mm-hmm. not great. Right. And you can you can say, hey, they need to be better at that. But offensively in that game, man, that was an impressive performance. Yeah, and, and obviously that was their first uh, and to date their only true road game. Uh, obviously they went to Phoenix – uh, and beat Gonzaga in front of what was a very pro-Gonzaga crowd, but it still wasn't a Gonzaga home game. Uh, this was a true home game, obviously, uh, and, a, and a very hostile environment, as you talked about. I think 18-5-something was uh, announced. Yeah, 18-5 and change. The second biggest crowd uh, in the history of, of Memphis basketball at FedEx Forum, uh, and even bigger than the, the number one versus number two. I think the, the, the number one all-time there is a 2008 game against Georgetown. Yep. Uh, and th- that number one, number two game, for whatever reason, wasn't considered a, a sellout. But that's that's neither. Even though tickets were like six thousand right, bucks right, right. in some that, places, but that's neither here nor there. What was most impressive, I thought, uh, given that early crowd, given that uh, just what the atmosphere was, uh, Tennessee was up fifteen five in the first four minutes. Uh, I thought it was the most controlled they've been yeah. to start a game. I agree. Uh, crisp, um, efficient, uh, good on both ends of the floor. Obviously. Uh, Memphis couldn't throw it in the ocean in the first half. I think they had ten made field goals, and yeah, I think Tennessee has something to do with that. Too. Right, and Tennessee did have a lot to do with that. And uh, but yeah, you're right. Every time Memphis, I mean, I think they got up uh, as many as eighteen at one point, maybe in the first half uh, after Memphis had kind of cut it down to eight. Uh, but when this team, when when you make a run at this team, everybody's going to make a run at this team. That's that's basketball. Uh, they have so many different guys they can turn to. Uh, obviously, Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams are going to do a bunch of the work. They're always going to have a lot of an- a lot of the answers. Uh, Jordan Bone can have an answer. Jordan Bowden. Uh, they're deep. They're talented. They're experienced. So that, that's kind of what you expect, uh, and that's what you've seen. They they went to Phoenix and beat Gonzaga. That was a big win. Uh, there wasn't really any letdown uh, going to Memphis. I think they knew what that rivalry is about, even though they haven't been a part of it uh, or seen it firsthand. Uh, and, and, they, and the absence did not make the heart grow fonder in that no, case. No, and the, and they answered. They responded. Yeah, and, and I think. The way that they have, and they're doing this without Lamonte Turner. You know, they're 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 doing, and he's a guy who you would think on the road would be a guy you'd need in an environment like that because he'd be the one to step up and say, "Okay, here's a big shot right between your eyeballs." I don't care, um, but I think Jordan Bones playing well enough now that uh, Tennessee can overcome that because they got a much more confident guy on the ball in late game situations, and and we'll talk a little bit more later about his performance against Sanford, which was out of this world, at least offensively. Um, but the big story from that game uh, came in the moments and the days after it because Penny Hardaway became a toddler. And that's disappointing to me because – and I wrote a big column about it. You can go to GoBoss247.com and, and read it if you if you want. But uh, I'll just come out and say it. I think Penny Hardaway is doing a lot of good things in Memphis. But if he does not grow up, that's going to be an issue. Um because you don't – there are a lot of guys in this business that you could go after and no one would bat an eye. If you think going after Rick Barnes is a good idea, 
you don't know what a good idea is. Um, That was unfortunate. And I know that Tennessee's prodded Memphis a little bit here and there. You know, Barnes had some fun on the, you know, in the vol calls talking about, um, you know, Tennessee going out there with balled up fists. But for those who missed the game, you know, there was a big fracas, uh, kerfuffle there with about 47, 48 seconds to go during a timeout. Uh, three technical fouls were issued, two to Memphis and one to Tennessee. Uh, and Penny Hardaway has come out with the lamest excuse I've ever heard for an explanation of what happened during an altercation. He claims to have video that shows Tennessee instigated the situation. Every video that I have seen, and I mean every angle that I've seen, shows pretty clearly that Alex Lomax walked over to Jordan Bone to start that situation, and then it got going. And for Penny Hardaway to come out afterward, and I know he's coached Lomax since he was in middle school and then in high school and now at college, and he loves the kid like a son. I understand that. But to say that Alex Lomax never says anything and would never be a part of an incident when video pretty clearly shows the alternative, that's that's weak sauce. And, and then to come out and say the Tennessee players walked over to the Memphis side with balled-up fists looking for a fight when the only thing I can see on that film is, yes, Tennessee players went over there to get their guys out of that situation, but I saw Penny Hardaway put his hands on a Tennessee player, and that's not been mentioned really at all. No. Uh, and put he his was hand the, on Bones' back and kind of guided him away from the huddle. Yeah, and, and that's you don't usually touch a player who's not yours. You don't put your hand on him. That's not what you do. Um, and, and I think the way that, Penny Hardaway came out and acted like a child. Tennessee has had some fun with that. Tennessee came out and prodded him a little bit, uh, had a couple fun social media posts talking about flopping and all that other stuff. And uh, Rick prodded him a little bit yeah, on wall calls. Talked about some of the flopping and, and stuff, which, again, if you, watch the the, fist. if you watch the film, if you watch the film, Memphis flopped. You don't have, if you were there in person, I have never in my life in this business, I've covered this, this sport since 2000. I have never covered a game where I saw any team flop as much as I saw Memphis flop in that game. I mentioned it during the game. I mentioned it after the game because it was ridiculous, ridiculous. And, and again, if you go back and look throughout, you know, do, do a Twitter search or go back in time and search for these things, I used to say it was ridiculous when Jordan McRae would do that stuff where if anybody touches you when they got the ball on offense, you just kind of act like you flail and bail, like you've been pushed. I didn't like that. I've, I've never liked that. Uh, I think there's a difference between taking a charge and flopping. And uh, Memphis did both of those things, but did a lot of flopping. And for Hardaway to come out and say that it's not flopping and that it was low class of Barnes to mention that, um, that's that's stupid. And I get that Penny is trying to kind of get the pride back in Memphis basketball, and he's trying to give them back that edge. You know, because when Memphis has been at its best, Memphis has had an edge over the past, you know, two, three decades. There have been times where that team, it had some swagger to it. It had some, you know, a lot of people talk bad about Memphis, about the city, about the university, about the basketball program, but they they got pride about who they are, and they love being from Memphis. You even hear in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. if you're from Memphis, you get love, right. a lot more love from the PA guy than, than other starters do. And I think Penny Hardaway's trying to put some juice back in that program. I think he's trying to build a wall around Memphis, to keep the best players in that city at home and not going anywhere else, especially to Tennessee. Um, But for him to come out and go at Barnes the way he did in that press conference afterward, not just after the game, because that was just stupid. But the, the, the two days later, 
that on Tuesday was just one of the most toddler-like outbursts I've ever seen from a from a basketball coach. And this guy's 47 years old. This guy's had a camera in his life or a camera in his face just about every day of his life since he was basically, what, in high school? High school prodigy. High school prodigy, parade All-America, player of the year, you know, um, a burger boy, a guy who was uh, a first-round draft pick, first-team All-American, got a gold medal playing for the 96 Olympic team, had, had his own Nike shoes. This guy was a Hall of Fame talent, and this guy – so I'm not going to sit there and say that this guy – it's not, you know, like if he's a first-year coach in a normal situation, I'll give him a slight pass because I'll say he's just not used to this kind of right. environment. Penny Hardaway has lived in this environment for pretty much his entire life. And for him to come out and act the way he did uh, was either naive at best or malicious at worst. And either way, I just – I don't think he cares what I think, and I don't think he should. No. But I think if you want respect and you think that's the way you're going to get it, you're a fool. Just my opinion. It's I mean, just I, – I still can't believe sitting here – however many days later, five days later, that two players chirping and getting technicals in a game that's already decided in the final minute between two rivals has turned into what it's turned into. It's, it's insanity. I thought, you know, Penny can have – I understand what Penny's doing. Penny, like you said, Penny's playing to his fan base. Yes. He's playing to his home city, his school, what he's trying to build there, the program he's trying to stand up for. Uh, but what I mean, what you think about with Memphis, you think about the blue collar, and you know, I mean, the Grizzlies are grit and grind. That's their whole thing, grind city, all that stuff. I don't know what film he's pointing to. Even the Little Rock film from the other night when they played Little Rock, they were flopping against Little Rock. Yeah, I mean, flopping is flopping. It's it's not hard to see when Tyler Harris gets you know, touched by Jordan Bone, literally just touched, just kind of as he's coming up the court, and he jumps back, flails both arms up, uh, and goes like 10, 15 feet down the floor because of that touch. I mean, that's a flop. I, I, and the the bald fist and the, the – he almost called it – he said it was nearly a standoff. I mean, I've sat through a lot of stupid press conferences. We covered Butch Jones for, what, four years? Yeah. This was This was next level. I mean, this was – I would understand it, like you said, if it was just some – guy that they had hired from Memphis East that had never been in that kind of spotlight before. Uh, but like you said, this is Penny. This is Penny Hardaway. He's been doing this his whole life. It just it didn't make sense. And I thought the most disrespectful thing, the most low-class thing, like Penny said, uh, was saying, obviously, Alex Lomax would never talk trash when you can ask anybody in the Memphis media market that could, like any other basketball player, high-level basketball player, talks trash. Yes. And did so in high school playing for Penny. Yes. And then he said, so obviously Jordan Bone said something disrespectful to Alex. Well, nobody's ever said a cross word about Jordan Bone. The kid has a every, – just about every player up and down the Tennessee roster has a great reputation. Yes. As a good kid, head on their shoulders. Never had a legal issue that I know of, never had no, any problems. You're no, not, you're not refreshing the Knoxville 24-hour uh, arrest list looking for basketball players because that's just not something you expect with this group. But at the same time, that said, they're going to talk. They talk every game. Because they're basketball players. That's what you do when you play basketball. It's a game. You, you talk. You, you talk trash to your opponent. Uh, you chirp for 40 minutes. And then and, and what nobody talked about, what you said, he put his hand on 
Jordan, uh, he put his hand on Jordan Bone, and it wasn't some disrespectful move. It was just kind of he put his hand on his back, kind of guided him away back toward the Tennessee huddle. But you, you don't do that. You don't put your hand like on, on super, like on Super Troopers. You don't, don't touch my rookie, Grady. Right. You don't. You don't do that, and you don't talk about another player like he talked about Jordan Bone uh, in post game. Uh, and and Rick probably shouldn't have done what he did on vol calls and and kidded with Bob Kessling about the ball at fist stuff and uh, probably shouldn't have talked as openly about flopping if he wanted this to go away. Uh, but I think see here here's where I disagree on that. I think they're just calling it what it was. I don't think yeah. they're being disrespectful. I, I I think they're to me that's like saying if Memphis hit eight three pointers, you would say Memphis hit eight three pointers. If Memphis flopped all day long, you say Memphis flopped all day long trying to draw charges because that was their defensive game plan. I think you're just calling that. That's like me saying, "Hey, look, that grass is green outside." You know that. that I, I get what you're saying, but I think you're just calling something what it is. Yeah, and, and and Penny thinks he's calling it what it is. Penny felt disrespected by the stuff Barnes said and and the talking That's about thin skin, right? And it is thin skin. Anytime you react the way you react. Uh, like Penny did, obviously. Butch Jones had thin skin, and we saw it for four years in the way he reacted, and that's what this felt like. Uh, but the w- the way he went after him on Tuesday was just uh, jaw-dropping. Like, you looked at those tweets and stuff that started emerging from that press conference. Like, I wondered if it was a joke. Yes, exactly. Like, is this parody or or, or what's going on here? But no, it, it was it was legit. and uh, it, it sounds really homeristic to say, Nobody says a bad word about Rick Barnes, but it's really hard to find somebody to say a bad word about Rick Barnes. You have to go back to Rick Barnes at Clemson when he went after Dean Smith and he was a young guy. And Rick Barnes has even said he regrets some of the things he did in that era because he right. wanted to, he wanted Clemson to get kind of a reputation. He wanted to get the name out there. He wanted to kind of get itself more of a foothold in the ACC. So he sort of regrets what he did in some ways, but but you'd have to go back that far to have people complain and about I, Rick. I thought about that Tuesday when, when Penny was going off, the way Rick Barnes went at Dean Smith when he was a young guy at Clemson and Dean was obviously Dean at North Carolina and what he had done. Uh, but uh, that was more so – I don't know how much that played out in press conferences as much as those two guys had to be separated at midcourt when their teams were playing. Yes. Uh, that's, that's the kind of way he went after – uh, him and they eventually had to had to had to sit down with the ACC commissioner and, and kind of had a uh, kind of a call to arms there to, to cut that off and uh, that's a different situation but it, just the way Penny went about it it just didn't make any sense it, it just felt like he was embarrassing himself I understand what he was doing trying to do at least uh, but I've uh, again I've never there was seen, a way to do that that wasn't stupid right I've, n- I've just never seen so much drama and back and forth over two guys talking and getting teed up in the final minute of a game that was already decided. You know what What I started thinking about Grant was I, I, I go back to, if you remember, I think it was Rick Rick's first season they played at Alabama, and that was the angriest I've ever seen oh, yeah. Rick Barnes. He was hickory mad. He was redneck mad, white trash mad, call it whatever you want to call it. They were up. He was mad. To set the stage, they were up like 10 or 12 in the second half, and Alabama closed on like a 30 30- – Close the game on like a thirty to three run, something stupid. Just and, and Barnes was so irate. He was, you know, he he was he, he just he was he said a couple things kind of behind the scenes that that maybe he normally doesn't do. Just just was not over the line, but just sat was, there at his press conference fiddling with a bottle cap, yeah, or a bottle of water. Was just, just irritated. He was <laughs> crawling out of that chair. But he knew when cameras were on, and he controlled himself for the most part, and. and there's a way to handle yourself, and 
if Penny Hardaway thinks that he can act that way and there's not going to be repercussions for it, if he doesn't think there's going to be a situation where he's trying to schedule games, and if you don't think this kind of thing is going to matter to people when the Memphis is trying to schedule a home-and-home with them, and I'm not talking Tennessee. I'm talking some of the big boys that Memphis wants to play. And they look back at this and they say, wait, if I go, if we beat Memphis, is this, is this what's going to happen afterward? Are we going to have to deal with this garbage? People say things like that don't matter, but I think they do. When you're scheduling things like that, I think they matter. And you talk about a guy who's got a great reputation throughout most of this business, that's Rick Barnes. And if you think that's the guy to go after, like I get what you're doing, Penny. I get what you're trying to do. But you're just doing it in a really, really dumb way, and, and I, I think it's unfortunate. But we'll, we'll move on unless you have anything else to add from that fracas. Can I get some uh, breaking news? Yeah, what you got? Uh, the, the ABC News breaking news. Uh, apparently Tennessee signed Aubrey Solomon, Tennessee football. How about that? So former five-star defensive tackle, uh, Michigan commit, uh, enrolled at Michigan 2017, 6'3", 300 pounds, whatever, 290. Number 23 overall player in the 2017 class, and apparently he's at Tennessee now. How about that? That is something. Well, that's some huge news. During While we're recording a podcast, yep. how about that? He tweeted the statement. Tennessee has tweeted uh, the addition of Aubrey Solomon, and uh, wow, that's a big one. One of the most talented players on Michigan's roster last year, if you hear people talk about it. Now, he needed to be more consistent and do some things better, but... Uh, this was a guy that everybody in the country wanted coming out of high school. This is a big-time player. I, I assume he'd have to sit out this season probably while redshirting. I would, I would imagine so, but you need defensive tackles, obviously, like we talked about earlier. Uh, you can't have enough big guys on either side of the ball, so adding him is uh, monstrous. That's huge news for Tennessee football. Wow, we will have to get more on that later. I'm sure that will be on, on the – on next week's podcast quite a good bit. But uh, before we get out of here, we will mention uh, Tennessee played Samford and, and expectedly expectedly, uh, Tennessee did not come out of the gate strong. Uh, that's a pretty good Samford team that I think could beat a lot of teams. I think that them and Furman and Wofford and, you know, ETSU, that, that SOCON's got some pretty good teams in it, and that's going to be a fun, fun conference this season. And it's a shame that it might be a one-bid league because there's some good teams in that league. Um, but I think you look at – the way Tennessee played in that game, especially with no Fulkerson who had a shoulder issue that he's okay, but he had to deal with it then, didn't play. Turner didn't play. Um, and, again, Grant Williams got in early foul trouble. Uh, and Tennessee, for the first 20, 25 minutes of that game, really didn't look very very consistently good. Uh, but then came good when it needed to, won the game comfortably. It would have been about a 20-point win if Sanford hadn't scored the final seven points of the game uh, when Tennessee kind of had, had, had put on the brakes. But um, kind of a – workmanlike performance, I guess you could call it, against a team that I think is, is better than people think it is. Um, and, again, uh, it was. We'll, we'll touch on this quickly. Maybe the best I've ever seen Jordan Bowen play basketball. Right. He's had some great games. Vandy as a freshman was great. Uh, Arkansas in the SEC tournament last season, he was exceptional. He has done this at times, but now you see why he's a Bob Cousy Award candidate because that was tw- a career-high 24 points, career-high 11 assists. Uh, I think he only had two turnovers, and they both came in like a one-minute stretch that was kind of unfortunate, sort of his only bad minute of the game. But he was really, really good, and they needed him to be in that game. And and he was – if he continues to play anywhere near that level, um, this Tennessee team that's already good gets even better. He's come a long way. That felt like the kind of the ceiling that Rick Barnes has always talked about, uh, Mm -hmm. what Jordan Bone can be. 
uh, what kind of potential he can reach because not only obviously he's scoring when you put up 24 points, but the career high 11 assists. Uh, he was crazy in control. Like you said about Sanford, that's a pretty good basketball team. Uh, the SOCON between Sanford, Wofford, Furman, that's three good basketball teams. That's a tough uh, tough league. And a couple other tough gyms they got to go play in in that right. league. And, and, and you kind of look at where Tennessee is right now, kind of the way the schedule sets up. It's pretty nice. They're 9-1 they're and one right now. Obviously, they host Wake Forest Saturday. Uh, you would imagine they can win that. Wake lost to Houston Baptist at home earlier this season. Uh, they're, they're a team that struggled and had to replace a ton of scoring from last year's team that only won 11 games. Uh, then you got uh, Tennessee Tech December 29th. You open up SEC play January 5th against Georgia. You could be going to Missouri on January 8th, the first uh, first road game in SEC play, uh, with a 12 and one record, and probably uh, I don't know what that is seven, eight, nine straight wins, something like that. Then they go to Florida on uh, on January 12th. So that's a that's a really busy week, a really big week, uh, but it, it kind of sets up nice. They're 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 in a good place right now based on what they've done and where they're going. And and Rick Barnes did say. Before Friday morning's practice, he told us that that he thinks there's a chance when they get back from Christmas break that they will have everyone available. So we can see with Lamonte Turner, he's getting closer, but he's not quite where he wants to be. But he's he's getting closer. He's in that mix. Uh, He it it could be any day now that he starts to kind of look like him himself a little bit and kind of get back into the swing, which this team needs. And Fulkerson went out there and practiced on Friday, too. So that's big news. Uh, Wake Forest did have another player. On Thursday, decided to leave the program. That's eight in the past calendar year who have decided to transfer out of the program. Uh, but Danny Manning has done a, a pretty decent job there uh, with some of the players that he's got. So uh, I think that could be uh, that could be interesting. So before we get out of here, we will get to uh, – uh, there were two good questions for Grant's Gun Show question of the week, which if you need a reminder, if you win this award and you see Grant Ramey on campus or anywhere around town, you see him up there roaming the streets of Blount County up there in the hood – or I guess I should say down there in the hood, and, and you ask him for tickets to the gun show, he has to flex his muscles for you. That's the prize that you get for winning this. Uh, we got a couple good ones this week. Uh, one, as a joke, I will go with uh, Big Uncle Vern on uh, Twitter, who said, uh, would Wes wear a corset to hide the love handles or shave his beard off? I, I'll be honest with you. I would not do either of those things. Uh, I will cut some tr- some gray hairs out of the beard occasionally because, uh, as my wife has said three times in the past month, you got some salt creeping in there, a lot more salt than you used to have. Um, but as far as love handles go, nah, man, I'm 36. They're there. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to try to walk around like stuffed in sausage casing, but, you know, if I got some love handles, that's what I got, bro. My wife's hot. That's really, that's really what's important to me. Um, you go from that one to the serious one, which is from Grant Barnett, Barnett020 on Twitter. Uh, and this will be the this this week's winner of the Grant Gun Show question of the week is there's no way that Admiral Schofield averages 30 points a game the rest of the way, but what do you think he has to do to be a Naismith Award finalist? Uh, he has to outshine Grant Williams, which is going to be tough, but it's possible because he's done so the last couple of weeks, and he yeah. did it in the last couple of weeks uh, of the regular season last season. Uh what this dude's doing, I, I don't know. He's he's kind of insane right now. The way he's hitting shots from all over the place, what he's doing. Uh, if, if he, it's, it's not really possible, I don't think, to keep up the pace he's on, but just playing uh, a fraction of what he's done the last couple of weeks, I think he's in the conversation. I think Grant Williams is in the conversation the way he's playing. Yeah, and that's the thing. You talk about how well Admiral Schofield's playing, but right now, guys, Grant Williams, these are the SEC categories, SEC rankings. He is the SEC's leading scorer at 19.4 points per game. He is the 
Uh, second, he's second in the league in field goal percentage at 57.1%. Uh, he is fourth in the SEC in rebounding at 8.3 per game, and he is seventh in the SEC in assists with 4.4 per game. Uh, and he's also got uh, a plus-minus rating of uh, per 40 minutes of plus 21.3, which is the best in the SEC. So he is, if the season ended today, Grant Williams is the SEC Player of the Year and at least in the conversation to be a Naismith finalist if the season ends today. So uh, – you do wonder if you have a situation here where it's like a football team has a great running back and a quarterback, and you're like, who do you put up for the Heisman? You know, that could be that kind of situation. And these guys might cancel each other out with some of the votes um, because if you look at this Tennessee team, you could say, well, they got two of those guys. So what do you do? So uh, I think that's it's a, a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. And then if Jordan Bone keeps playing like this, heck, he's going to be in the mix for the Koozie Award. I think Rick Barnes is starting to even think that, that he's got one of the best point guards in the country. So – there's a lot going on there, but congratulations to Grant Barnett, Barnett020 on Twitter. If you see Grant Ramey on campus or in Blount County or walking around the mall in the next month or, or sorry, week. I don't go to malls. Uh, if you see him, but let's just say you Part did. Part of the restraining order. Let's just say that you did, and you can't go to a Chuck E. Cheese either, but that's another story for another day. But if you see Ramey at a game, you see him around town, you say, Grant, two tickets to the gun show. He's got to flex those muscles for you. And Grant's in the gym every day, so you're gonna you're gonna see some pretty impressive some pretty impressive biceps. I'm gonna tell you. I don't know if I'm gonna go call them uh, beef Parker biceps, but but they're they're pretty good size. Khalil Mack biceps. Yeah, they're not quite Khalil Mack biceps. But congratulations, actually, Ramey, to your to your Chicago Bears on winning the NFC Norris. That's a that's a that's a good thing. Super Bowl shuffle. Think they're gonna do one? No. Think they should do one? I wish. That would be kind of fun. I would kind of like to see that. But, you know, hey, you don't always get what you want, right? <laughs> Story of my life. I mean, if Grant wanted, got what he wanted, would he, would he be sitting right here right now? Probably not. Absolutely not. I agree with that. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Uh, certainly a lot to talk about, even some breaking news during the podcast. How about them apples? But uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. We probably won't have another episode until after Christmas, so we'll go ahead and say Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to everyone who's been celebrating Happy Hanukkah. Happy Festivus. To the rest of us. Kwanzaa. Just whatever. Whatever you're celebrating this time of year, happy holidays to you. I'm Wes Rucker. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Rucker 24-7. You can find Grant Ramey on Twitter at Grant Ramey. You can find Patrick Brown on Twitter at PBrown 24-7. You can find Ryan Callahan on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. You can find us at GoVoss247.com where we got to buy one get one free right now special we got you know that's basically two months for the price of uh, one mediocre lunch so that's a good deal you should go check that out at goballs247.com you can also get to us at twitter.com slash goballs247 you can also get to us on facebook at facebook.com slash 247 uh, we do not to this point i think have an instagram account we do not have a uh, snapchat account i don't think but so if you see anyone doing that that's probably a fake probably not us and uh if someone is spending their time trying to act like they're us on social media they're probably not gonna have a very good holiday because they probably have a miserable life thanks for tuning in guys we will be back at least one probably two episodes next week on the holidays grant any final thoughts the key is to be dehydrated shout out armani moore <laughs>